Hey everybody, this is Kirsten Karen, and I don't know, it's been like a year <laughs> since I started the Vintage Case Files series and covered the murder of my grandmother's sister, Norma. I want to thank everybody who's reached out um, and contacted me about Norma and her case and about Carl, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen. Um to to that particular season, I guess, uh, knowing that it's a little, I was still, I was, I was finding my voice, um, and I got some reviews, actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you, even the reviews that were, like, critical were actually still really nice, like, people were nice, but one of the uh, bits of feedback that I got was that I was taking way too long to talk. Like I was speaking very, very slowly, which is funny because that's not, not like it's funny that the person thought that because they were absolutely right. But what's funny about that is that that's not how I normally speak at all. So what you're hearing right now is like my normal kind of tempo, I guess, in how I speak. I think there was just this part of me that felt like I needed to sound super serious because it was such a serious topic. And, you know, I if you hear podcasts, if you listen to podcasts that have existed for several years, sometimes you'll notice that in the beginning and then they kind of grow more into themselves, I guess, as time goes on. And I guess that was just my trial period of like, how, how do I do this? <laughs> so... What you're going to hear now is is me kind of just being me. And some of you are going to like that more and some of you are going to like that a hell of a lot less. So let me give you my adult content warning. I swear like a sailor. So you're going to hear that. Um, this case that we're going to discuss is more of a missing, well, not more of it is, it is a missing persons case. It is not a murder case. So we're not going to hear anything that may be triggering in that way. Um, however, if missing persons or accidents, things like that do uh, affect you, which I totally understand, then please just be super careful as you go into this, because I don't want anyone to be, you know, psychologically rocked uh, after listening to something. And if you need help, hey guys, guess what? It's July of 2020, so it is COVID-19 time. I myself am high risk for complications and death, so I have been quarantined since March. Um, you know, some days I'm fine, other days I'm not fine, and that's okay. So if you are feeling stressed and overwhelmed, please reach out. Uh, the Trevor Project is one of my personal favorites in terms of being able to kind of connect with somebody if you feel like you're in crisis. But there are also a lot of other um, resources that you can utilize. Speaking of resources, so for today's research, um, I just wanted to acknowledge the sources that made all of this possible. So they include the uh, WASP official archives. So I'm already stumbling over my words. This is going to be fantastic. The WASP official archives at the Texas Women's University. NPR um, put out an article in March of 2010 called Female World War II Pilots, the original Fly Girls by Susan Stamberg. 
And then, of course, there's the National Wasp Museum, which has a lot of cool stuff. I've never been there. <laughs> um, it's in Sweetwater, Texas. I am not in Texas, nor do I have plans to go to Texas until this virus is handled. But just their website, it's really cool to poke around. They have some videos that'll, like, they show you what it's like to be in the cockpit of one of these World War II planes. Um, they accept donations, and, and like most museums, probably need a little extra help right now. So if uh, you like what you hear today, then go on over there and, and make a donation. Uh, the Charlie Project also had some good information for me. It's listed under um, the name Gertrude Vreeland Tompkins Silver. Wikipedia, always good for getting some facts and things. And then kind of maybe the thing that impressed me the most was a book called Seized by the Sun by James Ur, or maybe it's Yuri. Like I wanted, like, is it like how Peter Lorre says Peter Lorre and it's Yuri? Yuri? Yur? James. James wrote it. Um, it. It's kind of written, I guess, more for like a tween teen bracket, but it's got some really cool stuff about putting in, in thing, putting, my God, <laughs> putting World War II culture and events into context. So, that's like my little whole huge disclaimer. So if you're okay with uh, swearing and me kind of editorializing some things, I am super excited to tell you about a woman who is so fucking cool. Like I can hardly, I'm just like so excited. Like I just love her so much. And I got to give you a little bit of a background on on me personally here. I am kind of obsessed with like the 30s, 40s, 50s time period. Uh, certainly wouldn't have been a great time for me personally as a queer woman, but like I love the style. I love a lot of the movies. I love the music. When I was in junior high, that uh, Disney movie The Rocketeer came out, which I know is based on a like graphic novel comic. It's not super Disney, but uh, I was obsessed, like just obsessed. And I started watching a lot of movies from that time period, and I really wanted to, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie, and that takes place in the 30s. So I've kind of always just had this sort of love affair with that time period. When I first started college, I majored in history and World War II was my area of focus, particularly the U.S. involvement in the European theater with a focus on D-Day and the logistics of D-Day. So I've got a bit of a background in World War II, but if you don't have that background like I have, which is totally fine, then... Um, Seized by the Sun is great because it gives you a little bit of, like I said, context for what was going on during that time period. All right. So I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm trying, like, it's weird because I almost feel like I'm fangirling. But what I really want to do is, is talk to you, like, the same way that I would talk to just my coworkers or my friends or my kiddo and, and just be like, holy shit, have I got this amazing person to tell you about? 
In 1942, the United States started a program to train pilots. Because there was a shortage of male pilots already due to World War II being in progress, it was decided that women, who of course were not allowed to fight in combat, would test the planes, train male pilots, and ferry planes from base to base all over the country. These women were known as WASPs, and that stands for Women Air Force Service Pilots. These women, despite going through military training and having all the risks that a military pilot has, uh, were actually considered civilians because of misogyny. So it was actually... Oh my God, my dogs are starting to fight. So if you hear that in the background, that's what's going on. It's play fighting. It's fine. So at the beginning of this WASP program, it was sort of insinuated that if they did really well, they would get to become part of the military, like in an official sense. However, the WASPs were disbanded at the end of 1944. Now, it is worth noting that they were sort of retroactively accepted into the military in the 70s. And in 2009, I almost said 10 years ago, but it's 2020. 11 years ago, I can math. Um, in 2009, President Obama signed a bill that bestowed congressional, that's a hard word for me to say today, congressional gold medal status to the WASPs. So today, as I mentioned, we are going to talk. I say we, like you guys are going to be able to talk back to me, but I like to think of it as a conversation, just one in which I'm completely dominating it. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about one of those wasps, and her name is Tommy Tompkins. Gertrude Tompkins, or Tommy, as I will be calling her later, was born on October 16th, 1911, which makes her a Libra, just like me. So dope. Okay, dope as hell. She was born and raised in New Jersey, which is not like me. But I do think that's where, wait a minute, isn't that where Charles and Anne Lindbergh were living when their son was kidnapped? Wasn't it New Jersey? I don't know. Okay, anyway, that was a random side note. Story for another time. Back to Gertrude. She was the youngest of technically four children, but her oldest sibling, uh, Stuart, died as a baby. It's unclear. I, I wasn't able to figure out if he was stillborn or if there were complications at or immediately after childbirth. At any rate, Gertrude did not ever know him. And of course, death of a child is, is a hard thing for anybody to deal with. And her parents um, did struggle with that. So... Gertrude had two older sisters, Margaret and Elizabeth, and from what I can tell, the family was uh, close in the way that families in the 1940s were close, which isn't quite the same way that they're close now. Um, different. It was just different. Uh, they were definitely very well off in a in a financial sense. So. Gertrude's parents kind of did their own thing, which again, like if you've seen like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I love, uh, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about where, you know, the parents love their kids, but they live very kind of separate 
existences from them. Um, they're either servants or other family members to kind of watch the kids while the parents go out and do their own thing. Um, so that was kind of how Gertrude grew up. About the time she should have been, you know, just talk, 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 talking. Um, I used to say that my kiddo woke up mouth first because it was just chatter, chatter, chatterbox all the time. Um, when this should have been happening in, in Gertrude's development, though, it became pretty apparent that she was struggling to speak because she, in fact, had a stutter. It just so happened that Gertrude's dad, Vreeland is his name, also had a stutter. And this seemed to create a bit of a bond between them. So he would, it, it seems that he may have felt guilty, like he, it was his fault that she had it. So he was trying to kind of help her overcome that. She would struggle with her stutter for most of her life. And okay, we've got to get this out of the way because it might come up later. Whew, here we go. I'm not trying to fetishize this at all, but see, and that always just sounds so bad. It's like, I'm not doing this, but watch me do this. Okay, here's the thing. I fucking love a stutter. Like, I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and here is why. When I was in like junior high or high school, I had a massive crush on this guy who had a stutter. So in that kind of developmental stage of me figuring out, you know, like what I was attracted to, because the guy that I super liked had a stutter, that became somehow intertwined in like things that I find attractive. Like it was like in my brain went gorgeous people stutter. Like there's this phrase that we use in psychology all the time, this little saying, neurons that fire together, wire together. So that's what happened with me. Uh, if you have a stutter, you're gorgeous. Like that's how my brain immediately translates that. So, so there you go. You just, you just need to know it. And this kid, he was just, he was so freaking cute. He had these like he played soccer, so he had these nice legs, he had glasses, he was smart, I was terrified of him. Um, he was shy, but I was, like, I never, I hardly ever spoke to him unless it was, like, for school, because I was 100%, like, just the skinny, mousiest, plain Jane person. <laughs> like, so no way was I going to approach him. Uh, yeah. Recently, I looked this guy up on Facebook because every, you know, every once in a while you want to do this. And, you know, we're both in our 40s now. But he looks like, he just looks like, like, I looked at him and he's got, like, a, a ton of kids, which is fine. But, you know, in my mind, I'm still picturing that guy from high school. And he's like, he's, he's a dad. But he's like the, the, like, quintessential not that there's anything wrong with dads, but just, I mean, like, can dads be frumpy? Like, like, unironically frumpy? I was just like, oh, huh. But I still think, I don't know, I still associate stutters with just gorgeous, gorgeous people. Like, um, oh, James McAvoy in It, Chapter 2. Oh my god. Listen, I know. Terrible. 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 Whew. Okay. 
the only thing that I can kind of relate, I, I, and I've known people and I've been friends with people who struggle with stutters. And I know it's not like anything glamorous, whatever. Like it's, it's a thing that is, is stressful and, and frustrating. I, I don't stutter because I'm not gorgeous. But when I get really anxious or upset, I kind of stumble, like I mispronounce words, which is frustrating for me because I'm very intelligent. But when I don't sound intelligent, that's really hard. And um, I know that some of my friends feel that way, kind of with their stutters, is that people sometimes automatically assume like they're not smart, which is really fucking stupid. Um, just know that if you are communicating with someone who has a stutter, do not, do not fucking talk over them. I used to do that until I was like, just called out on it. It's like, uh, hi, can you just let me say what I want to say? Don't you, I know you think you're helping, but you're not <laughs> You're actually making it worse. So if you are communicating with someone who has a stutter, please just shut your fucking mouth and let them say what they're going to say. Like there's no reason for us to talk over each other. Right? Right. Okay. Whew. Anyway, moving on. So Gertrude has a stutter and it's, I was going to say it's the forties, but it's not the forties because this is when she was young, but it's old timey times, right? So they try all kinds of weird shit to cure her stutter. And of course it doesn't work because weird shit almost never works trying to cure anything. However, um, well, maybe not. However, I, I don't know if if the attempts to do something about her stutter created like her shyness or exacerbated the shyness that was already there. But she was very, very shy as a child and she didn't talk a whole lot. But the silver lining of shyness and stillness means that you get a chance to observe and learn a lot. And I say this as someone who is shy. <laughs> now, my friends sometimes listen to the podcast stuff that I post, and a lot of people who know me are shocked to hear me say that, but I am, I'm an introvert, and I have moments of extrovertism. <laughs> Did I just get through saying I was intelligent? I'm like, let me make up some words. I can act extroverted, but by nature, I'm shy and I'm an introvert. I was so shy when I was younger that I was scared to like order food at a restaurant. It would literally like my stomach would just be tied up in knots. I, I really, I couldn't speak in class, even though I knew the answers to things like a teacher calling on me was the worst fucking thing in the world. Um, I've always been self-conscious about my voice. I just like bit the microphone. I like shoved the whole. Um, but it's kind of cool because when, when you're shy and when you're quiet, you, you really do get a chance to kind of observe. And I think you become maybe a little more sensitive in that way. You get to really watch how people interact with each other and you pick up on their body language and little tics and inflections in their voice and all of that. So I don't know. I, like I said, silver lining. So Gertrude herself, because this is a podcast about her and not me. I just, in some ways, I kind of identify with her. So I get, again, I'm just like really excited. 
she was able to observe the people around her and the world around her. She was very inquisitive about nature. She was very intelligent. She was very bright. She loved to read. Uh, based on what I kind of researched, I feel like maybe she was a bit of an empath as well. She was pretty adept at picking up on really subtle things. But despite her intelligence and her love of reading, school was just not her thing. And I would guess that the social pressures and her stutter may have been a big part of that. But she often would claim she was sick just to avoid going to school. And this fucking broke my heart to learn about because my kiddo was bullied for a period of time and would do the exact same thing pretend maybe not pretend but I, I think that anxiety well I know because I study psychology anxiety can make you physically ill so but just knowing knowing that she felt so uncomfortable that she would be ill or say she was ill to just avoid school is fucking heartbreaking you guys I hate that <sighs> anyway during all of this, um, Gertrude still kind of hangs on to this fascination um, with the world around her, right? She kind of reminds me of like a little Elizabeth Bennet, you know, from, uh, from Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, where she just loves to read and explore and, you know, do things that surprise people, I guess. Uh, she actually ended up stutter stuttering. Oh God, she actually ended up studying horticulture um, after she finished high school, um, and that's what she studied in college. And she graduated from college. She was really fortunate because right about that time, we're seeing the Great Depression and the effects of the Great Depression. Now, her dad owned. Um, a pretty successful company. And so they didn't really feel the financial effects for quite a while. And she was able to go travel after she was done with college. So she went all over Europe and had the opportunity to learn different languages and actually found that when she was speaking a language other than English, her stutter disappeared. So this, I think, combined with the opportunity to travel and meet new people, have new experiences, really seemed to foster a great deal of growth in her confidence. In the late 1930s, the depression finally caught up with Gertrude's family and she was no longer able to travel uh, the way that she had previously. Her sister Elizabeth had also contracted polio, so uh, Gertrude wanted to kind of be there to help take care of her. One thing that I did find was that Elizabeth actually was also pretty badass. She uh, volunteered for um, the NAACP and then a little bit later in her life for Planned Parenthood, which I am all about that. And it that little tidbit just makes my heart sing. So <laughs> I just had to throw that in there because Elizabeth also was very cool. So when Gertrude was 28, she moved into her own apartment in New York City. That's so cool. Like, I love it. I just love the idea of this this woman who'd been so shy saying, I'm fucking going to New York. 
here we go. So she had her own place in Greenwich. Is it Greenwich Village? You guys, I've only driven through New York City. I've actually never been there, which is super weird because I lived in New England for a long time and somehow never made it to New York City. Someday. Greenwich. I'm assuming it's Greenwich. Somebody stop me. I sound like an idiot as I take a breath to continue the podcast. Okay. So she's actually loving living on her own. She loves kind of just that whole, you know, let me decorate my own apartment, which I totally am the same way. Like, oh, it's my own space. And I get all super excited. Again, if you're shy, if you're an introvert, like having your own space is so crucial. You have got to have that. So I love everything about this, except (laughs) this is when she meets a dude named Henry Silver, and I am about to fucking go off. I do not like this guy. I am not going to be objective about this guy. I'm not even going to try. I realize that that may be unfair of me, but I'm like, I I just (coughs) dog. Rammy, it's okay. My dog thinks he needs to protect me from any and all everything. (laughs) From birds and other dogs and people walking up the stairs outside my apartment. All right. Okay. I bet he would have protected me from Henry Silver as well. And rightfully so. Like I said, he was, maybe he was fine. Maybe he was fine. I, you guys my spidey sense is tingling and so I'm just gonna go with it because my spidey sense is never wrong this dude Henry is 10 years older than Gertrude which okay whatever that's I mean fine I've dated people that are 10 years younger than me I've dated people that are like 15 years younger than me but I like I can pull that off because I look like 10 or 15 years younger than I really am. This dude looked like 50 years older than he actually was. And again, it's not about looks, but you're okay. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see. You'll be on my side because here's actually why I don't like him. He could have been a hundred thousand years old. Well, that actually would have been really creepy because then what, what is happening? He could have been 20 years older than her and I would not have cared except for this. <sighs> Do you know, you know those guys that like, and I'm sorry, it could be anybody, any gender could do this. But in my experience, it's always guys. You know those guys who think they're super fucking funny and charming and they're just like you just feel ew, like awkward around them. Like they, they're almost like these psychic vampires where they're like sucking your energy and they're making these shitty, stupid jokes that really aren't funny. And you have to like, I feel like this happens to me at work, like where you've got to be friendly and polite, but inside you're just like, what the fuck? You know, I feel like it's one of these situations because I guess they lived in the same apartment complex. So anytime Gertrude would leave, Henry would like come out and make these stupid shitty jokes and like talk to her. And Gertrude being the nice, polite person that she was is like, you know, listening to him. But he was constantly asking her out and she was constantly telling him no. And this is why I fucking hate him. Like, bitch, she told you no. Like, fucking drop it. You're not being endearing. You're not awesome for constantly, like, needling at her to go out with you. That is not awesome.
awesome. That is not fun. That is not a good thing. Like, no, you stop. You ask someone out and they're like, "Mm, no, no thanks. Then you're like, okay, cool. And you fucking drop it. You drop it. You don't ask again. And you certainly don't ask day after day after day after day. Okay? Stop. (sighs) All right. So that's really fucking annoying, right? Oh my God, it gets worse. So here's what happens. So she keeps telling him no. This bitch, this bitch goes behind Gertrude's back and sets up like a double date with her parents. With her parents. What is going on? Like, who who does this? Who does this? Weird, you guys. So many alarm bells are going off for me with this guy. Ew. And so poor Gertrude, she's like, okay. So like her parents, of course, are like, oh, yes, this sounds great. Let's do it. I mean, what's she going to say, right? What is she going to do? Like, no, you you three go have fun. Sorry, mom and dad. Not doing it? Like, I, I don't know. So she, she goes because she, of course, she has to. <sighs> okay, so the other thing that bothers me about this is he's older than her. That's, that's not what bothers me about this. What bothers me about this is it's like the 1940s men already have so much more power than women and he's 10 years older than her which means he has even more power you know what i'm saying using that position of power to try and like persuade her it just feels very sexually harassing to me so that's i don't know you may land differently on that than i do but i just fucking hate everything about this i i hate that i hate it i hate it. i'm getting so i'm getting so <laughs> mad even just talking about it okay but then it, it's even worse because gertrude's parents they fucking love him they love him oh my god i hate this so much like can you imagine like anything more awkward i mean i'm I'm sure there are more things awkward but can you just imagine here's this guy and he's the the kind of person that you're just like hope he doesn't see me hope he doesn't see me god damn it fuck he saw me i mean i'm sure she didn't like swear like that i don't know maybe she did what do i know ah darn i'm trying to think of like 1940s swears and i can't i'm drawing a blank but whatever you know, you, you don't escape. He does see you. He corners you. He's telling you his shitty, stupid-ass jokes and probably talking about, like, bragging about how much your parents like him. And you're just like, oh, God, wanting to die. Like, just earth, swallow me up. I, please, do not want to deal with this anymore. Oh, <sighs> I hate it. Okay. I guess I've made that abundantly clear. All right. Fuck you, Henry. Now I feel better. Okay. Whew. So now it's like 1940, 1941. War is brewing, guys. This was a super tense time. All right. Lots. Of, I mean, think about like if you're listening to this now, think about how you've been feeling with this global pandemic and all of the kind of social activism which i'm 
100% behind, but like the political just yuckiness and just everything, doesn't it just feel like you just kind of feel it like this big thing hanging over you. It's like a, a weight almost. You're, you're waiting for the sword to fall or the shoe to drop or something somewhere goes down. But anyway, that's what it was like then, okay? War is, is happening. The U.S. is not at this point part of it. And at in that time, we were very much kind of isolationist um, in as a country. We didn't really... World War I was not a fun time for us. We did not want to get involved in something again like that. So just a lot of... It, it, it was tense. Tense times, okay? Somehow, and I have no idea how this happened, but somehow... Gertrude meets a guy named Stanley Michael Kolondorsky. Kolondorsky? See, <laughs> girl, why do you have a podcast when you cannot pronounce anybody's names? <laughs> he went by Mike, so we're just going to call him <laughs> Mike. All right, I got to tell you, let me tell you what Mike looks like. Okay. Mike. Oh my God, I haven't told you what Gertrude looks like. Well, obviously, obvi. She's gorgeous because she has a stutter. Um, just really full brown hair. The pictures that you see, uh, you know, definitely got that kind of 1940s hairstyle going with the curls. And she's got these nice full lips. She's got this really pretty face. The They look to me, I'm guessing, brown eyes, which are my favorite color of eyes. Not my color of eyes, but brown is my favorite color of eyes. Not of clothes, but of eyes. Um, she was beautiful. She was just absolutely beautiful. Okay, so I gotta tell you what Mike looks like, right? All right, so picture, <laughs> picture, um, oh my God, do you wanna know what Henry looks like? Let me tell you what Henry looks like, and then I'm gonna tell you what Mike looks like. So Henry looks like, oh my God, I just forgot his name. <laughs> Don Knotts like the deputy or whatever from the Andy Griffith show. I'm going to feel really stupid if it's not Don Knotts. Okay. He's fine. Right. But like picture him as like a 65 year old man. And that is what, at least the pictures that I found of Henry Silver, that's what he looks like. Okay. But now let me tell you about Mike. Have you seen Stranger Things? And have you seen, well, if you've seen Stranger Things, then you have seen this, Sheriff Hopper. Okay, this is what Mike looks like. This is what Mike looks like. And I find Sheriff Hopper hot as hell. So like peak Hopper hotness is what Mike looks like. Mm. Get it, girl. Oh, I'm so proud of you, Gertrude. Whew. Okay, so Mike also happens to be a pilot. And he had volunteered to fly for England against Nazi Germany. So remember, U.S. is not involved in the war right now, right? But Mike is like, dude, I can fly. Fuck those Nazis. I am going to volunteer to fly for the, the RAF and take down some fucking Nazi bastards. Ooh, yes, Mike! Love you! Mike's parents, um, 
at least his mother, and I don't know generationally, uh, I didn't go back far enough to see either both of his parents were born in Poland or it was just his mother, but there's a very strong, I mean, he's Polish, right? Um, and Germany fucked Poland over during the war. So, I mean, I totally get it. I totally get why Mike would be like, I gotta, I gotta fucking get in on this. I have got to go do something. So I think that speaks a lot to the kind of person that Mike was. And I fucking love it. I am here for all of it. So however it is they meet, they meet. And Gertrude is like smitten, as of course she should be. And I'm sure that Mike was also smitten because of course he should be. Because Gertrude is the fucking coolest. Anyway, so... Um, Mike joins up with uh, this group, this whole group of Americans who were going to go fight um, on England's team. <laughs> I say it like it's a, huh, I study World War II, but all of a sudden I'm talking like it's a freaking sports match. I promise you guys. it's It's been a really long day, okay? Whew. So this group was known as the Eagle Squadron 71. I don't know much more about Mike other than that. Other than there was kind of, it seems to be a bit of this like intense romance, which was not uncommon for that time period. When there's a lot of global stress, particularly during war times, um, attachments form very, very quickly. They're very intense because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen the next day. I uh, had a friend who was serving in Afghanistan a few... Like I said that with the weirdest inflection. Who was serving in Afghanistan uh, several years ago. Oh my god, if he listens to this, I'm going to be really embarrassed. But it's fine, because he knows. Whatever. Um, kind of had a thing for him, and then he left. And I was like, I'm just going to play it cool and pretend like I don't have a thing for him. But then, like, a year out, I, like, panicked and was like, holy shit, what if he dies? And I never told him how I felt. Like, you know, one of those things. Um so I wrote him a letter and I told him and he emailed me back and it was like the fucking sweetest, most sincere, nicest, like rejection that I've ever, ever gotten. And he and I are still friends and it's totally fine. Um, he is like a stand up fucking guy and he's a pilot. I'm like, oh my God, pilots. There you go. Anyway, so like I get this whole idea of like war. We don't know what's going to happen. I feel like I need to say something. So from what I can gather, this uh, this romance was pretty intense, and naturally so. I mean, I just feel like they were just so oh, like I put I put pictures, like her picture and his picture, like um, as they say in parts of Rhode Island, side by each, or meaning like next to each other, and they are just mm, so fucking cute, like a very handsome couple, as Jane Austen would have said. <laughs> At any rate, um, however long they were able to be together, it wasn't long as to what transpired while they were together. I could not begin to guess. Uh, I just hope there was lots of amazing kissing going on. But Mike leaves and uh, he goes to fly for England. <sighs> the only other thing I know about him is that... <laughs> Uh, he had been married, and when he was like, hey, I'm going to go do this thing, his wife was like, mm, here's the divorce papers. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. So anyway, pretty he was pretty committed to, to fighting some Nazis, which I 100% support. All right. 
this sucks. You guys, I hate this. I, I hate this more than I hate Henry Silver. <laughs> very, very, very sadly, Mike was killed in combat in May of 1941. Um, he was shot down uh, and presumed dead. His body was found months later. It like washed ashore and he was buried in Holland. So from what I can gather, he died kind of a hothead kind of a way. Uh, he broke formation to like, you know, he's flying formation with his squad, squadron, and he broke formation to chase down an enemy plane. I honestly, like, I'm not criticizing that in any way, because I cannot say that I wouldn't flip a bitch and try to chase down a Nazi if I, if I saw one. As far as I'm concerned, Mike is a fucking hero, and I just, I, I'm devastated that, that this ended uh, so tragically for Gertrude, because by all accounts, she was devastated by his death. When you experience a loss like that, that is so significant and coming at such a crucial time, both for you personally and, you know, in the structure of what's happening in the world, it can be really, really easy to get lost and to give up and to just really get beaten down by that. But Gertrude, being the badass that she is, she did the opposite. She did something that only a few women did at the time, which was she joined the Wasps in 1943. So we talked a little bit about the Wasps at the beginning of the episode. Uh, there were only about, I want... I may get this number wrong. I'm going to check my notes in a minute. I want to say there were 1,078 wasps. And she was one of them. Like, it was it was hard to get in, but she got in. Um, she had started learning to fly either speculation that maybe Mike took her up in a plane and she kind of became enamored with it uh, that way and then started taking private lessons. Or... Um, just became interested in it because he was a pilot. So she joined the Wasps when she was 31 years old. 31! You guys! On the one hand, that's super young. But on the other hand, like for that time period, uh, that was kind of, I don't want to say old, but it was kind of old. Like I thought going back to school, like back to college in my 30s and 40s was scary, but she fucking just, hey, I'm going to go fucking fly warplanes <laughs> like damn so she makes it into this program and she goes to sweetwater texas to train this place is called avenger field which is some carol danvers captain marvel shit that i love avenger field avenger field i'm in love first the first avenger was not steve rogers it was gertrude tommy tompkins so she's there with all these other badass women going through super intense training because like i said even though they were civilians they were trained like in the exact same way that the military official military personnel were trained it was fucking brutal not only was the program the program tough but like the male trainers and crew were kind of sometimes they were assholes like not all of them not all of them but a lot of them like oh you girls can't fly planes blah, 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 whatever the fuck they said 
you know what I'm talking about. Women, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so not only was that kind of dangerous and hostile, but just doing what they were doing was dangerous. There were, you know, planes in various states of reliability and functionality on top of all of all of this pressure and kind of just living with the stress and the danger and the hostility, you know, Gertrude has to communicate over the radio while she's doing this. So she's working really fucking hard to control her stutter. In uh, late 1943, she graduates from the program and she gets her silver wings. And I like, I want to cry because I can just imagine how proud she must have felt. Huge, huge fucking accomplishment. Okay. But now, now we have to fucking talk about fucking Henry Silver again. I do not know. I do not know what the fuck was going on while Gertrude was at Avenger Field, but somehow her dad decides to hire Henry to work for him. Ew. Like, again, I just, I hate it. I I just feel like there's something super sketchy going on. Like, I don't know if if Henry just likes, like, is one of those men who just wants to control everything or if he maybe knew that Gertrude's family had money and so he saw her as an in. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't like it. I just don't like it at all. So whatever. I just really want you on my side about this Henry Silver thing. <laughs> So yeah, so then, so that happens, which again, weird. Wonder if Gertrude thought it was weird, probably. But let's get back to her. She graduates from this super hard, super rigorous, super advanced training program and gets assigned to an army base in Picos, Texas, where she's going to test planes to make sure that they're safe for the male pilots to fly. You guys, this is super dangerous shit. Hey, hi, here's this brand new plane. We would like you to just, uh, you could just fly it and fuck around with it a little bit. Make sure that nothing happens to the the men who are going to be flying it after you. That'd be super great. Okay, thanks. She loved it, though. She loved flying. She loved it so, 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 so much. So even though this was dangerous, uh, she did it. And she did it really fucking well. She was very well known as just an incredibly gifted and competent pilot. From there, she was assigned to ferry planes all over the country, like we kind of talked about before. So she was sent to Brownville, Texas in August of 1944 uh, to do, guys, to do fighter pilot training. Like, like, like Captain Marvel did. Fighter pilot? Like Top Gun? But let's do Captain Marvel, because that's way cooler. Fighter pilot training. Balling. Love it. And that, that, my friends, that's where she fell in love again. She fell in love with the most beautiful, amazing of all airplanes. The P-51D Mustang. Okay, if you don't know what this plane looks like, I have been in love with this plane since I started studying World War II like 20 some odd years ago. In fact, it was probably when I was like 18 when I fell in love with this plane. 
Oops, there's the dog. Rami, I'm talking about the P-51. It is glorious, this plane. It is beautiful. You just go, go look at it. It is, it's just breathtaking, this plane. I'm in love. Gertrude was in love. Now, this next part might be a myth, but I'm going to roll with it because I kind of love it. It was said uh, by some of her colleagues that after her first time flying a P-51, she never stuttered again. But she was still gorgeous, even though she didn't stutter. Uh, Her fellow wasps gave her the nickname Tommy. And that's kind of how I think of her. Just this badass beautiful strong woman in a badass beautiful strong plane and Tommy just it suits her I feel like it suits her so much more than Gertrude so by all accounts she loved the p51 Mustang and I just love this idea of her like I can I I can't say that I can feel it because I've never been up in a plane like that and probably never will because I'm a little bit, I I am not so much of a risk taker that way, but just from what I've heard from people who do fly planes by themselves, uh, there's just this sense of like freedom and control over your own life and kind of an otherworldliness, I guess. I, I, absolutely adore thinking of her in that plane and feeling that control for her own life and feeling that freedom. Unfortunately, we have to talk about fucking Henry again. (laughs) Not fucking Henry. We have to talk about Henry fucking again. No, God, I can't say. Let's just take fucking out of this. We have to talk about Henry again. So Henry had a sister who uh, got pregnant out of wedlock a year previous and had maybe not a year previous well anyway she died during childbirth and left behind a baby girl and at this part in our story the girl is a year old and she's kind of been living with different family members and henry decides henry decides he's going to adopt her which if I didn't think he was doing it for sketchy fucking reasons, like, I'd be like, oh, Henry, maybe you're not as bad as I thought. But legit, I think he was using this baby as like a pawn or as leverage. Because what he did was he calls Tommy and he says, oh, hey, um, so I know like you're this super fucking amazing pilot but boy, do I have a proposition for you. How's about you give up flying the best plane in the whole goddamn world? Give up your freedom and come marry me and, and raise a kid. Raise this kid that I that I want to adopt. What a fucking proposition, right? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, what ha- like, what was he thinking? Did he just, I feel like he just could not, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Who would think that that's like, don't get me wrong. I love my kid. I just can't fathom like someone saying, hey, this life you love, I think you should totally leave it and come do this other thing that's nowhere near as cool and is maybe going to suck a little bit. 
whatever. Okay, yeah, Henry, being a badass pilot is way better than being your fucking wife. At any rate, Tommy says that she'll think about it. Probably because she's so polite, she doesn't want to tell him to just fuck off. Tommy, I will tell him for you. Girl, you call me up, hand me the phone. I will be like, hey, Henry, fuck you. And then it'll be great. And then Tommy will give me a ride in her P-51 Mustang. The end. Uh, But it's not the end. So Henry does what Henry does. And that is he goes to her parents. Guys, what is with this? It's so weird. So Henry goes to Tommy's parents and convinces them that this is like such a fucking good idea. So her parents start pressuring her. Like, oh, well you know, you're not getting any younger. You may want to to do this. Plus this poor little girl needs a mother, blah, 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 blah. Jesus fucking Christ. I like, I can't with this shit. I just cannot. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. It's a different time period. I still don't like it, nor do I have to. Mm. Okay. So I wish that I could tell you that Tommy defied the odds once more and told them all to take a hike while she continued to be this badass top gun fighter pilot flying P-51 Mustangs all over the goddamn country for the rest of her life. Glorious. But she was about to get screwed over by misogyny in another way. The wasps were, I feel like I have a hard time saying that. The wasps were going to be disbanded by the end of 1944 and the wasp members were of course keenly aware of this they really had expected and pushed for the opposite though to be officially made part of the military but the decision was was made um by men of course that uh women just shouldn't be pilots because that was a man's job fuck that So Tommy did what she felt like she had to do with very limited options. She eventually agreed to marry Henry and marry they did on September 22nd of 1944. So there's this picture that you can find of Tommy sandwiched between her dad and Henry. And it almost looks like she's leaning away from Henry a little bit. Um, Like it just, it's so awkward. It's so awkward. I may be projecting my feelings onto that picture, but when I saw it, I like, I literally went, you know, like, like when you see somebody dislocate their knee, like, ah, fuck. It just, it's, it's painful to look at this, this photo, like it, it literally hurts my heart. I fucking hate it. (sighs) Thankfully for me. thankfully for her. Uh, She was only with him for a few days after the wedding before she was able to get back to her base and her real freedom, which was flying her planes. I'm really, I'm I'm gonna get emotional. I'm really happy that she had that. Fuck you guys, I'm gonna cry. I told you, fangirling. I love this woman so much. (laughs) <laughs> you guys, I'm not even drunk. Like, I am stone cold sober. I just wish that she had had that happiness for longer than a month. Because she fucking deserved to be happy. 
Whew. Mamma mia. <laughs> On October 26th of 1944, Tommy was assigned to fly a P-51D Mustang to Newark. However, there was a problem with the canopy on her plane that had to be fixed. So she was delayed. And because she was going to be leaving much later than uh, they had originally planned, <clears throat> she was told to fly to Palm Springs, stay there overnight, and then continue to Newark the next day. Her uh, canopy repairs <sighs> completed. She... <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, guys, I really am emotional about this. After her canopy repairs were completed, Tommy took off a little before 4 p.m. and was never heard from again. Fuck. <laughs> Due to clerical and tracking errors, nobody even realized she was missing until October 30th. Searches were, of course, initiated, but to this day again 2020 <laughs> um neither tommy nor her beloved p51 mustang has ever been found Whew. i was not expecting to get this emotional <laughs> of the 1078 wasps who served during world war ii 38 were killed tommy is the only one who's not been accounted for when i uh Fuck. When I first heard Tommy's story, I really wanted to believe that she just, like, she flew away on purpose. Like, she disappeared on purpose and just, you know, escaped from this life that she didn't want to have. This fucking marriage that she didn't want to have to pursue her dreams in some far off land under a new name where she was just happy for the rest of her life. I, I just, but really guys, I can't, I cannot see Tommy putting her family and her friends through that. Um, not knowing where somebody is and not having answers is torturous. She wouldn't do that. I just don't see that. Uh, no, she wouldn't, she wouldn't have done that. And she wouldn't have abandoned her country either. She was very loyal and she was very responsible. So particularly during a time of war, even though the war was winding down, even though the wasps were going to be disbanded, I just don't see her abandoning her post, essentially. I think, um, I think that her plane crashed due to a mechanical malfunction. I definitely don't think it was any kind of error on her part because she was a fucking amazing pilot. I just think, yeah, I think she crashed into the ocean just off uh, Minefield, which is actually now LAX. So the next time you're at LAX, I hope you think of Tommy. Um, but I think she crashed into the ocean and I think all the sand and the sediments have probably irrevocably buried her and and the plane she loved so much. I don't know that we're ever going to find her. There have been searches over the years. Um, I think there was even one as recently as last year. 
Um, some people think that she may have crashed in the nearby mountains, but we just nothing has been found yet. So, I don't know. I kind of now just like to think that she's flying free. I mean, maybe, maybe she's got Mike Kolondorsky as her co-pilot, but she's definitely the one who's doing the main flying. So, there it is. God, I'm sorry I got so emotional. That was really, I was really not expecting that. Um, I just, I do. I love her. I love this woman who, who did something so fucking extraordinary. I mean, that, that took a lot of bravery. It took a lot of guts, especially during that time period. I would love to sit in a P-51 Mustang. I would not be flying in one. (laughs) No way. She was, she was brave and she was kind and she was smart and she deserved better than trying to be manipulated and controlled by some older dude. She and the other wasps deserved to be recognized as the amazing fucking fighter pilots that they were. I guess better late than never. So... Now you know about Tommy. I was astonished when I first read about her last year. Um, I, Like I said, I studied World War II history. I had never heard of her. I didn't even know about the wasps until like 10 years ago. This is one of those areas of history that just has been really brushed over. And it's really, really sad. So uh, check out those resources I gave you at the beginning of the podcast if you want to learn more about her. Uh, go check out the book Seized by the Sun. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I hope that as time goes on, we'll see more books about her, uh, movies about her, TV shows about her. Uh, I just, I do. I love her. I love her so much. And I think that she kind of represents what I sort of strive to be like strong when, when it's hard, especially when it's hard to be strong. Um, and to, to keep reaching for that dream and that thing you want even when people around you are like, "Mm, you can't do that because you're a girl or because you're gay or because you're transgender or black or any, I'm like, you know, fuck everybody who tells you you can't do something because you don't fit whatever it is they consider the mold to be. No, man, you guys are fucking perfect. Go out there grab your p51 mustang whatever that looks like to you and fly high i'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places that this heart of mine embraces all day through in that small cafe the park across the way the children's carousel the chestnut trees the wishing well i'll be seeing you in every lovely summer's day In everything that's light and gay, I'll always think of you that way. I'll find you in the morning sun, and when the night is new, I'll be looking at the moon, but I'll be seeing you.